0: Good morning, Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Dave Cooper, and most of you probably know our guest speaker today, Chris Johnson. He was a member here at Redeeming Grace for many years and led the care group uh, that I was in for many years. But when Matt gave us the lineup of speakers for his sabbatical, Chris was the one I was most excited about. And it's not because... I think he's got this hidden preaching skill that we failed to tap into while he was here. Although, maybe he does. We'll find out in a few minutes, won't we? But no, it's because I know him. Um, We've been friends for a long time. I know the man. I know his character. I know he's somebody that loves God and loves others. As a matter of fact, I think um, I would characterize Chris by somebody who seeks to serve others. So... I know that that's his desire today, would be to serve us, so Chris, come on up and serve us through the preaching today, and maybe we'll tap into those secret preaching skills.
1: Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, that was interesting. Um, I was able to sneak in to the uh, dispatches from the front, is that what it's called, in the back and watch a video, and they said, oh yeah, and Dave's introducing you, and I thought, oh man, because like Dave said, we have been friends a long time. So, I just told Dave, you get like three seconds to talk about me. I can scrap this right here and I'll talk about you for an hour. <laughs> so, uh, it's good to be here. The, the reason I'm here, from what I hear, it's, it is this great preaching skill. They, they, went, they tried to get Ray Ortland Jr., he declined. Uh, they went after Matt Chandler, I think he declined, and Piper. So, you've ended up with me. So, I really apologize. But don't worry, next week my good friend James Nysong will be here and then you're really in trouble. So <laughs> please be sure to tell him I said that. Um, the goal this morning is to encourage you and to to bring encouragement and to highlight kind of our partnership in the gospel. It's not an official partnership, it's not like we have an agreement with Renewal Church and Anderson and Redeeming Grace Church here. But Meredith and I and our family were here for twelve years. And in essence, when we, we have lived in Anderson the whole time, but when we went back, it's really kind of a view of a transplant. I mean, we are, we are from y'all. Our DNA was formed here. And so I want to highlight that, and we'll talk about that a lot this morning, um, so just to highlight our connection in the gospel, and then we'll start with just an update on the Johnson family. Many of you know us. I see a lot of faces that I don't know, um, so I apologize for that, but my name is Chris, we were here for a long time, and I am, I'm glad to be here this morning. So uh, this, is my, this is my leash. If I stray from this, this could go south. So forgive me if I tend to read more than I look. So, uh, But let's start. So this is the first church that my wife and I attended as a married couple. Uh, like I say, I'm from Anderson. We were living there, and we had visited churches for probably a year and a half to two years and never felt like we found a place where... God wanted us. We just didn't have that peace that this is the kind of church we needed to settle into. And some friends of ours that lived in Greenville called us, and they told us about a church plant that was going on here. Now, I thought, Greenville, that's a different zip code. Might as well be a different time zone. I mean, that is a long way away. But we came to visit, and we stayed. So uh, that was just a very interesting way of how we started Uh, So Meredith and I were married in 2001. Like I say, we visited around. We joined here. And as young adults, I think the Coopers were the only other, quote, young family, which means in their 20s with no kids at the time. And uh, older couples and the pastoral staff really poured into our life. Uh, We learned all kind of things. We benefited greatly from that. Uh, Our first child, Hadley, who's now 14, was born and I had to, Meredith corrected me this morning on the way here. She was the first, first child born into the church. Which means that of people that didn't have kids, we were the first one to have a baby in the, in the church. So, uh, we had no idea. I mean, we just were a young, young couple with having our first kid. Kind of like, well, this is exciting. And all these people that had been there before were bringing us meals right so every Sunday we would come and somebody different would walk up with a meal for the week or whatever and uh, one couple in particular it was Josh Pratt's parents brought a cooler right with five meals you know the instructions are laid out you bake for 350 at whatever temperature for long and I just remember as a, as a young man thinking wow we should have another baby like quick this is pretty good." <laughs> Uh, but but it, it was really an example of the genuine love and the genuine care that we were receiving that was being poured into us. And that, that has changed who we are. That has helped, helped us develop into who Meredith and I are. Now let me see where I am in my notes here. Uh, but it helped ground me as a husband and a leader of my home. Uh, we learned from this church that life and growth happen in the mundane, normal times of life. You know, we hear of these conferences people go to, you hear a great presentation on a certain topic, and you get really excited, and you grow. But the real character and the real development that comes out of life comes in the mundane, boring, diaper-changing, get up, go to work every day, get up, go to work again the next day. It's in those details where God really works on who we are. And we learn that here, because that's kind of boring to hear. No one wants to know that, but that's the truth. Uh, yep I already talked about Hadley she's now 14 Uh, so as time progressed I became a life group leader or a care group leader under the care of the pastoral staff I began to learn different pieces of what it was like to be a pastor to shepherd people now I want to pause here I'm not trying to say that life group leaders are pastors life group leaders are elders or deacons we're not talking about polity this morning but for me There were pieces of caring for people and lessons to be learned that I learned under the pastors that were here, which set me up to be an elder in Anderson in a big way. Uh, There were lessons about caring for people, how you sacrifice your time, what that looks like, loving people when they are difficult, being loved when you're the one that's difficult, watching people struggle in life, suffering loss of life alongside dear friends, rejoicing when babies are born. And then realizing, oh wait, they need a meal schedule, and I better get on that. Thankfully, I have a wonderful life, wife who can handle that. She thinks ahead of me, so that's good. Um, there's great joy and hope in what the Lord is doing in bringing the next generation to Him. Uh, but in our, in our care group, there was deep fellowship and care for one another uh, that extends to this day. As a matter of fact, our care group will still, on occasion, Get together, And, and that group, there's, there are people from all over. I mean, they're, they've scattered all over the place now. But we still do get together, and that's a testimony to God's goodness and his grace in our lives and what he did. Uh, and it's more like a family reunion. Um, but as a life group or a care group, we were able to watch the Lord provide uh, for a foreigner who had come into our midst through some means that he'd given us. And we were able to watch that situation because um, she had needs that were beyond anything we could handle, um, we tried our best, but we could see God move and, and use his resources and his power to meet her needs. Um, and she's still here today, and we love her very much. Um, but it was a great time and a great lesson for all the folks in our care group. Um, as time progressed, though, our children were getting older. We were homeschooling, we were in a homeschool co op in Anderson. And as the girls were getting older and meeting new friends, they were really starting to put down more roots in Anderson. And we had this divide. I mean, it, was, it takes about 45 minutes to get here. So as they get older, you know, your kids' friends are pretty important, who they hang out with. And a church is a great place to foster those relationships. So Meredith and I began having the conversation. Do we stay in Greenville at church or do we look again in Anderson? My first good reaction was, no, we don't. We were there for two years kind of wandering around aimlessly trying to find where the Lord would have us. And nothing panned out. But I think, uh, I think God must listen to her in prayer more than he does me, because as we continued to discuss this, my heart started changing, not hers. What's up with that? Fine leadership right there, folks. Fine leadership. Don't, don't do that. Um, but we had wrestled with the question of what is a local church. We were going to a local church, but it wasn't really our local church. We were 45 minutes away. It had served its purpose in our life. God had used it to shape who we are in a major way. Our children had grown up here. But we couldn't really put to rest what we felt like he was calling us to do. We had thought about moving this way. The doors didn't seem to open up quite right. And so uh, at the time, redeeming grace here was going through pretty big transitions. Uh, We were looking at buying this land. Uh, There was a big change with the... uh, denomination or group of churches we were affiliated with and I was in on a lot of those decisions on should we stay here should we go should we buy the property and whatnot and it was really in one sense looking back it was it was kind of sad well it was sad anyway but it was sad to leave during that time because it was really a critical time for this church but with heavy hearts we couldn't really turn away what we thought the Lord was calling us to do We had no bad blood or disagreement really over anything in the church. It was just simply that we felt like the Lord was calling us to go to Anderson and look around, see what we could find. So we did. Again, for me, we were leaving a gospel-loving church, a solid church, and to to have the thought of going out and wandering around again, looking for where what what might be, we hoped, would be a good church, it was difficult. But, God is God, right? He's in control. He can see things happening here and happening there that we have no idea. So the very first church we walked into was about a year old church plant. They were singing the same songs. They were going through the book of Genesis, which at the time, we were going through the book of Genesis. They're a little bit further behind though, so I got some repeat. It's probably good for me. It was like being in the same church with different people that you just really didn't know who they were and that kind of blew my mind. You know, this church didn't exist years ago, but it like I say it was about a year old church plant. So we joined, we felt right at home. The church was young with lots of young people, with a lot of college students, and really at the ripe old age of 35, we were in the older half of the church. It was really a dynamic shift. You know, when we came here, we were the youngest, and now we're the oldest. Um, you know, people are calling me old man, and dude, you got a lot of gray in your beard, what is wrong with you? It was, it was, it was interesting. Um, but, but it was a lot of fun, and it was very interesting and neat to see how God had supplied that. Um, but after years of being here, it was something I was very grateful for, to have all the experience, because being in the older half, you now have kind of a different role to play in a church. After a couple years there, I became an elder, uh, and that's really when all the lessons I'd learned here under the pastoral staff really came to uh, came to be. At the three-year mark of the church we're in now, we've been there four years. You know, it starts to struggle. A church plant. People come expecting one thing. Everybody's excited. This is a new church. We've got a lot going on. And then it starts to take shape based on the people you get, based on different demographics or whatever. And it may not turn out to be what some people really thought it was going to be. So they leave. That's not bad. It's just part of growing. But we've had a pretty big transition. So we've had folks leave, some for good reasons, some for not so good reasons. You know, the fun phase was kind of over, and now it's really time to just, it's time to get to work. Um, some folks left and sowed discord on the way out. We've had church staff issues, financial issues, um, and there's just been a lot to deal with. But because of God's grace and growing up here as a young adult, these were things that I had seen other people handle and gotten a, to see and have a taste of myself. And because of that discipleship in my life, I felt like I was prepared. At no point did I ever think, oh, this, sink, this ship is sinking and we've got to bail because of God's faithfulness, and that is a result of you, of you people working in our life, and for that I thank you very much. All right, I think I'm done with that page. Yep. So I'm thankful for what God did in my life here, um, and so we're gonna. It's gonna bring us to our scripture here and, and why I've selected this passage this morning. We're gonna we're gonna look at Colossians chapter one. And we're gonna hone in on verses three through thirteen or three through fourteen. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about the historical context of Colossians and where it's from. The church origins, uh, scholars say, uh, they believe that uh, it, was, it was born and planted by a guy named Epaphras. Uh, Paul, from his writings, didn't really appear to have planted the church, but it's assumed that when Paul was in Ephesus, which was in the same geographical region in the years AD 52 to AD 55, He was there for two years, two or three years, preaching and teaching that Epaphras came from Colossae, became a Christian, went back to Colossae, and then planted a church. And it's to that church that this letter is written. Um, Paul is currently writing from prison in Rome in Acts 27 and 28. We can read about his imprisonment there if you want. If I get to talking and you're bored, just turn there and read it. You'll come up with something good. Um, But that was in AD 62, so... As best we can tell, this letter was written roughly 10 years or so after this church was planted. Um, Onesimus is one man mentioned in the book, uh, in chapter 4. If you flip to the book of Philemon, he is the slave that ran away, and Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, who was in Colossae as well, to please take him back if there's any debt incurred that Paul would take care of it. So there's some links there, Uh, and we think that Paul, from prison, wrote the letters to Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Um, So, ten years after it's found is kind of the context. It's probably started by Epaphras, and so Paul is writing to encourage this church. So if you will turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 14. We thank God, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. I want to pause here. This is similar to the feelings that, that Meredith and I have for you guys. Now, I'm not Paul. I did not plant this church. I'm not writing an epistle to you. But the gratefulness for what God has done in you and through you is a major part of how we feel. Being elsewhere now and hearing of your success, of hearing what the Lord has done, this, this verse really describes that. So just wanted to mention that. All right, verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we have three main points today. For those of you that take notes, this will be easy. The first point is thankfulness in prayer, and we'll dive into these in a minute. Number two is continuing in prayer. And number three, thankfulness to God for the results of the gospel. So point number one, thankfulness in prayer. Why is Paul in verse three thanking God for the church in Colossae? The first thing is because he has heard of their faith. The second, he has heard of their love for one another. And thirdly, it's based on the foundation of the truth of the gospel. The foundation of Paul's rejoicing is a result of the work of the gospel, the good news of Christ, the Son of God, who becoming like us, he lived a perfect life. He did not succumb to sin as we have. He took our curse. He paid the price of death for the sins that we commit, but he was raised to life because he was blameless. He didn't sin. Therefore, the penalty of death really didn't apply to him. It had no authority over him, and by his blood, we're cleansed of our sin. Romans says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that he is Lord, we'll be saved. We also know that there's nothing that we can do on our own accord to clean ourselves. We can't perform well enough. We can't do enough good things to save ourselves. Only God draws us to repentance. And the result, as we see in the life of the Colossians, was great faith in the Lord, and a result of that faith was love for all the saints, love for one another. We see in verse 4, Paul says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Poses the question, why do they have this love? What's so important about this? And it says uh, further down, it says it's a result, the hope that is laid up in heaven. So it's the hope that we have for eternal life with Christ and with one another that inspires our love for each other. In this section of the scriptures, we see three themes that kind of go throughout the New Testament and different epistles that Paul has. It's faith, love, and hope. These are common things that characterize Christians, or they should characterize Christians. Because of our faith in God, we love one another, and it's the grounding of our hope for the eternal life in union with Christ. Paul goes on to point out that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit in other parts of the world, just as it is doing in the lives of the Colossians. In verse 6, he states the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. Um, I'm here today to give you testimony that the gospel is indeed growing and bearing fruit in a little place called Anderson, South Carolina, just down the road. Uh, you've got Greenville here, that's where you folks are. you got Anderson down here, that's where us little people are, right? Um, we're getting your overflow, so if y'all would quit growing, we could have some... Less people and some more country still. It's kind of how we like it, but you know that's up to y'all. You're gonna to have to solve that for me. Um, and see, I did all that and I've lost my place. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing, uh, but let's be clear that it's not any effort of our own. It's through Christ and what He has done. In John 15:5, Jesus states, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit." For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing at all. That's Jesus speaking. So if anything is growing and bearing fruit, it's a work of Christ. There's just no way around it. There's nothing else that can be done. So a few things I want to report to you that might bring you joy to hear. Again, if you follow the connection that we are, we are sent from you guys to Anderson. This, we are planted there from y'all. Uh, in our little church there... <clears throat> Uh, by God's design, again, it's a young church, and they had been praying for more families to come. And on one particular Sunday, the Johnson family, the Flanagan family, and the Drago family all walked in about the same time. Now, I'm sure at that point, they thought, man, we need to be more careful about what we pray for. We need to be more specific on who, what kind of people we're asking for. But when you pray vaguely, you get what you get, and so they've had to deal with it ever since. Um, But out of our church, there have been several different couples who have gone out and taken jobs as pastors. So, you know, it's a Southern Baptist church where we are, and I know the philosophy is a little different in how you send people out and missions and whatnot, but the point is, we've had guys who've gotten married, they've come out of college, they've attended our church for four or five years, and now they're going to other churches as youth pastors or associate pastors, Um, but they have that gospel DNA, you know, and they're going to churches where it's traditional. There's nothing wrong with tradition as long as you're honoring the right thing. Now, we all know, especially if you grow up in the South, church can be traditional and that's it. There's really no life. These guys are coming from a church that has life and they're taking it to some of these older churches who may have life, they may not. I don't know. I don't go there. But I know these guys keep coming back to our elder board at church asking for advice, Talking through things. And so it's neat to see here in the US little fingers of gospel people going out to spread his word. So that's one thing. It's pretty cool. Um, secondly, one of our elders was transferred to Germany for work. Got her in that paycheck, right? But guess what? They didn't go with, to Germany with the idea of this is simply for a paycheck. They're Christians thinking like Christians, thinking about the gospel, and they went to Germany to earn a paycheck and to share the gospel. We also had a German couple who transferred here. A lot of this has to do with Bosch. Um, They transferred here. They went to our church for about two years. Again, we have our impact, whatever God's going to do on those folks, and then they go back to where they came from. So in our little podunk Anderson, South Carolina church, we're reaching the world. The kicker is... I know that's happening here. I know of people that have come here for the same reason and have gone back to where they came from. So you're having the same impact we are. I'm not trying to share you this with you so that you're like, man, Anderson is really getting it. No, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness and God's goodness and that we're connected in our work in what he's doing. Uh, and this was interesting. So again, the, uh, the video I stuck my head in on this morning here was of Liberia, of work going on there. Uh, We have a young lady, and by young, she's a second-year teacher, basically fresh out of college, who started an orphanage in Africa. Now, please don't ask me the details of how she did that. I don't know. I'm not that smart. I couldn't figure out how to do the logistics to make that happen. But she raises support. She's got people on the ground there, and she works there in the summertime. So our little church is trying to find out ways to partner with her to help her, whether it's financially of course, you know, you have the same old issue. Ain't nobody got money. But trying to partner with her with money, trying to resources and what we can send, but still it's neat to see what the Lord's doing in that young lady's life to start an orphanage in Africa. Uh, but then lastly, and the biggest thing, we're able to walk alongside young couples who are just married, just like someone did for us here. Tell them, tell the young man as he's a husband, hey bud, that was a really stupid thing you said to her. (laughs) You're an idiot. Why? Somebody said that to me. Why? Because I needed it, right? We're able to walk along those couples. It's an opportunity for discipleship to share the same love. We share the same hope through what Christ has done in us and through us. But we had that modeled for us here in that church. For that again, I thank you. So as we look at verse 7 again, let's talk a little bit more about Epaphras. Who is this guy? And again, it would appear that he planted the church. Uh, The footnotes in the ESV study Bible indicate Paul didn't plant the church. Epaphras did. He was a faithful minister to the gospel. And we see if we flip over just briefly in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. We need people like that on our behalf, praying for us, concerned for us. He was concerned for this church um, that they would continue to grow and and he was praying fervently for them. Uh, But currently he's with Paul. He's a representative of that church with Paul, serving Paul and helping Paul do what he needs to do. Um, but uh, obviously we should be thankful for Epaphras and people like him. Um, but Paul had not stopped thinking and praying for the Colossians. Now, from what we've read so far, they seem to be doing well, uh, but Paul continues to pray for their growth, which brings us to point number two, continuing in prayer. This comes from verse nine. Um, sanctification is a process. Uh, this might be a clue for us because Paul's continuing to pray for them That the Christian life is not, we work and work and work, and then boom, we have this one event, and we have now culminated, we perfectly exhibit all the fruits of the Spirit, Um, we're absolutely patient in all aspects of parenting, we work 100% our job, No, we're still flawed people, sanctification is a process. And so it's a clue, it should be a clue to us that we should view it as a process and not as... Why can I not get past this? But God is working in us in the slow and mundane things and be patient. Be patient. Continue in prayer. Uh, Paul prays that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Again, why? So that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It seems kind of important, right? Psalm 1 One through three says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So in Colossians, we're talking about bearing fruit. In Psalms, he's talking about being a tree planted by water that yields its fruit in season. Ephesians 4.1 says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, That you may know what the hope to which he has called you is. So, God supplies the wisdom and the understanding, and he describes what it looks like through his work. Wisdom is from the gospel. The revelation of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection is not something that everybody understands. That's a gift from the Lord. That is wisdom, that is understanding. That is knowledge of God, and the more we grow in our appreciation and the understanding of the gospel and the word and the scripture, the more knowledge of God we have. We want to be fully pleasing to him in all that we do. Now, we know we're not perfect people, but our efforts should be to glorify him through his strength in order to be pleasing to him. Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 reminds us that we're living for the end game, for the end goal. It's not a temporary thing here. It says, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there is a judgment coming. We don't talk about that a whole, whole lot, but it's real, and we'll give an account for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. So in our efforts through Christ and what he's doing in our hearts, we want to walk in a manner worthy of pleasing him in all that we do. Paul prays that they'll bear fruit in every good work and they're increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, hear the echo of Jesus back in the book of John that we've already mentioned. That apart from him, what can we do? Nothing. So when we bear fruit that's pleasing to him, it is pleasing to him, and it proves we're abiding in the vine or in him. And our knowledge of God will increase. And that's kind of the, one of the main points of the Christian life is to know God more, right? Right? to be in a deeper and deeper relationship with Him. But it's kind of a tumble effect. The more we understand, the more we have wisdom, the more we bear fruit. The more we bear fruit, the more we increase in our knowledge of Him. The more our knowledge of Him we have, the more our hope is built and the more steadfast our faith is, and the less waving about we do with the troubles of life. And it just keeps repeating. So we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. As we move on in the text, Paul prays that they'll be strengthened with power in verse 11. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Power sounds good, right? Yeah, I've got power so I can do what I want or I can do better at this. It's not exactly what Paul's talking about here and he says what it's for. It's for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, why would Paul go and talk about endurance and patience? I mean, we've had faith, love, and hope. Those are all great things to build on. You can get about, excited about that. But now there's an, a, need, a need for endurance. What's the catch? Endurance is usually for, like, marathon runners and stuff like that. Well, Paul prays for endurance and patience because life is hard right? Does everybody know that? Is that a shock to anyone? If you don't know that, it's coming, don't worry. Life is hard. I already mentioned to you in our character that we had here, we had a lot to struggle with. There were deaths to deal with. There were marriages that were decaying. There were people with great physical and emotional needs. Our world is broken because of sin, but thanks be to God we're not stuck there. There are consequences to actions that we take, and we still reap some, have to reap some things that we have sown. But God is in the business of redeeming. Um, Paul did not say that because of hope and love and faith that we would conquer all things and have a life of ease. No, those are themes he introduced here. But then he's, he's praying that we bear fruit and that we have power so that we can endure and have patience with joy. Paul is the guy who, uh, again, was writing this letter while he's imprisoned. He's in jail. You know, I don't know what a Roman prison looks like and there's a lot of talk that he was kind of more like under a house arrest. But either way, he's not free to do what he wants. right? So he's telling us to endure and have patience with joy. And this dude's been stoned multiple times. That's why they throw big rocks at you. One time in particular, they left him because they thought he was dead. And then he gets up and moves on and what does he do? He continues to preach the gospel and write letters and encourage the church. So to hear that from him, it's a big deal. I personally have never been stoned, so I'm thankful for that, uh, but I'll just take his word for it that it's a bad thing. Um, but the Lord has recently helped me, uh, really, kind of in this season of life. Again, I mentioned earlier that, that our church has been through some, some rough times, and of course, as an elder, I'm right there in the meat of it, trying to figure out what's accurate, what's not accurate. Where do we need to repent of sin? Is there sin here, or is this person crazy? You know, you have all these things that you have to do. And it's not, it's not, it's not easy. It's, it's been tough. But fortunately, by God's grace, we're coming out of that season. Um, but uh, there's an exercise group that I participate in from time to time, and I promise this will relate if I do my job right. Uh, it is based on, there's, uh, there's a military or former special forces group that kind of invented this thing. And so a bunch of people will get together. You'll sign up for an event. You'll carry a rucksack on your back with about, oh, it about, comes about 40 pounds. You show up at 9 o'clock at night at a given location. You sign up, you pay money for this, right? And then this former Special Forces guy shows up out of the dark somewhere, and he's like, get in line, no! you know, and you're like, oh, man, what's happening? They run you through push-ups, running, squats, carrying each other, doing all kinds of crazy things. Um, at the last event, Uh, we were at Furman at the sand volleyball court and they were teaching us how to do buddy carries where you carry somebody who's wounded or injured well earlier that night the guy had asked who the biggest guy in the class was and some guy raised his hand he weighed like 240 I think well so we're in buddy carries we've been doing push-ups right so I'm down on the ground and it's time to do buddy carries and I stand up and the guy says partner up and here's this dude 240 pounds He's like, hey, we good? I was like, oh man, here we go. So anyway, the point of all this is this group has a morale patch. It's a slogan that they, uh, they embrace. And I will, I've cleaned it up a little bit because we're in church, right? So basically it's embrace the stink. Embrace the stink, you know? Stand up, 240 pound guy's there, I gotta carry him. Ha, embrace the stink, yes. And it's to get you kind of fired up. Life is hard. There are objectives to accomplish, and it's not easy. So go in there and just think, yeah, here it comes. Embrace it. It's going to be fine. And so I'd kind of, you know, kind of gotten that in my head. Like, yeah, work. Got to go to work again. Oh, this person's mad at me. Embrace the stink, right? And I, you know, gently feel this, not literally, but this tapping, right? And I think the Lord said, hey, Chris, let's tweak that. Let's change it a little bit. Maybe let's add some scripture to this. Not add it to embrace the stink, but this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Sounds a little bit different than just simply, You'll embrace the stink. Right? Rejoice and be glad because our faith is in God In the obstacles that come up in life, for whatever reason, God is with us. So I don't have to carry the 240 pound dude alone, even though it felt like it. No. The Lord is with us in all of our difficult times and in our good times and we're called to endure with the power that he has given it's not a power on our own that we muster up and hype ourselves up to get through it's a trust in him and which it's given to us our strength to get through is given to us from him so this is the day the lord's made let's rejoice and be glad in it don't simply embrace the stink embrace god right Told you to tie together, you were wondering. So point three, Paul's giving thanks for the results of the gospel in the life of the Colossians, and we see that in verse 12. So giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's thankful for the inheritance of life that the Colossians have through the gospel. is thankful for salvation from darkness, that's where we all were, and transferred us to the kingdom of light. So we see that God has qualified us to share in life. It's not what we have done or that we perform well. Let's not gloss over the fact that we were dead in our sins. We were dirty, we were vile, Some of us were proud. We were boasters of our own good deeds and how great we were. We were worshipers of idols. And if God had not redeemed us, that's where we would be. No knowledge of God, lost in the dark, thinking we were something more than we were. And there's also a punishment that goes with that, by the way. But by God's grace, through Christ and the gospel and what he's done on our behalf, we have a savior if we trust in him. And He delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We have a new state. All our abilities to overcome difficulties and live for Him, which is what He's called us to do. He also gives us the means to do that. He changes us on the inside so that we are able to please Him. He has accomplished this, so we're able to live for Him and give glory to Him. So we've been delivered from the domain of darkness... Christ is the beginning of our faith, and he's the beginning of our hope, but he's also the fulfillment of what we hope for, so we don't ever get away from him. So to recap, and in closing, we see Paul's thankfulness in prayer it's because of the gospel. We see Paul's continuance in prayer for the Colossians and what God has done for growth and for pleasing God. And then lastly, we see thankfulness for the results, for our inheritance because of the gospel And what he's done in and through us. So strive to be thankful to God. Strive to continue on. To walk in a manner worthy of the call he's called you to. Know that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit here in you. And also other places. And be thankful for the results. That we have an inheritance. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I am very grateful to be here. It is a joy to come back and see you all again. Um, I applaud you for giving Matt a sabbatical. That's a good thing. Uh, One other thing, this is not serious at all, but I figured it'd be good for you to have a bunch of duds come in here and preach so that when Matt comes back, you're like, thank God you're here. But continue to show appreciation for your pastor and your pastors. It's not an easy job. They do well. They work hard. And, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir now. So thank you all very much.